0: With Matthew 1, uh, verse 18, we'll read through verse 25. This is God's word eternally true. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, God with us when Joseph woke up he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus here ends our reading there's a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your bulletin the word of the Lord thanks Thanks indeed let's pray uh, in life, we have a lot of enemies, whether we think about that or, uh, or you know, very much or, or not. Uh, I think of when I think of an enemy. It was someone actually I didn't know that well, but in, in middle school, when I was uh, um, in middle school, that's when you're in middle school. When you're in middle school, um, uh, there was a kid named uh, Mike Lewis, and Mike Lewis was a grade older than I. And uh, back when I was growing up, if a kid was older than you, it meant he was 10 times stronger than you were, (laughs) regardless of size. But even if that weren't the case, Mike probably weighed over twice my weight. He was he was big. Um, He was probably bigger then as an eighth grader than I am right now. And I remember one time I was always a late kid. I was late for school a lot and and uh, dragging along behind and so I, I got to school late. My mom had driven me to school and dropped me off. Um, and, and I walked in this alley, which was in between St. Paul's Episcopal Church and Willis Junior High School. And there's this big alley I had to walk through um, to get to, toward the front of the school. And as I'm getting toward the doorway, Mike Lewis pops out behind from behind a dumpster. <laughs> and and, and I've, got, I've got my clarinet in one hand. And I've got my Minnesota Vikings gym bag with my books and such and the other. So my hands are completely occupied and Mike comes out behind that dumpster and he gets me in a headlock. And I'm, little, I'm in this headlock bent over, you know, like, like this. I couldn't do anything, even if my hands were free and I didn't want to drop my clarinet and, you know, my, my books and scrape up my Minnesota Vikings gym bag, go Fran and, um, and, and, and so And so I just, I just, um, admitted what was true, and I said, "Please let me go." <laughs> and amazingly, he did. Uh, but then, when I was a freshman at um, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes High School, um, he was a sophomore. He had managed to pass the the next two grades, and, um, <laughs> and and I was in this hallway after school. It was like the 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 music, the band, orchestra, chorus, hallway. It was just this little wing of the of the school and not many kids were around a few but teachers weren't there anymore because they had had left it was about 10 minutes after school had let out and he saw me and he came over to, to get me and I saw him coming and so I darted into the orchestra room which I knew because I was was playing clarinet in orchestra. I darted in there and there was this storage room where they kept like extra stands and chairs and amplifiers and that kind of thing. And I went into that, so before he got to me, I darted into the orchestra room and I went in that little storage room and I hid behind like a speaker or something. And I heard him come in and I just stayed completely quiet with my eyes closed until I didn't hear anything. And then gently I opened my eyes up and and he had had gotten discouraged and, and left. Um, but he was he was my enemy back then. I don't know why he picked on me. I didn't even know him. We had never had a conversation, that kind of thing. By the way, he's now a Christian and we're Facebook friends. Um, <laughs> he likes my stuff. Uh, my family saw a recent episode or my family recently saw an episode of Monk where he has one of his uh, middle school bullies um, hire him to solve a, 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 a mystery, a, a problem. For him. And this bully has no idea how deeply he traumatized Monk when he was a middle school kid. And so maybe that's the case with with Mike that he just, you know, he's never said anything about, sorry, how I treated you when we were in school. (laughs) But uh, we have lots of enemies. Maybe not enemies like that, that are twice our size. uh, But but we have uh, biblically lots of enemies as well. Um, Hopefully, we haven't made enemies through uh, treating people unkindly. We never want to do that. But this passage teaches us um, about uh, how Jesus affects us and our most um, prominent and most important enemies that we have. If you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that. Um, Number one there, just that point that we've been talking about here, in your life, you have lots of enemies. In your life, you have lots of enemies. Um, And biblically, um, these enemies are Satan, death, uh, your sin nature, um, which brings you to do what's wrong. And you have an enemy in the justice of God as well, which will be rendered at the return of Jesus. Um, Next line there for you. These enemies threaten to do you harm. So these enemies that we talk about, Satan, death, your sin nature, the justice of God, they threaten to do you harm now and eternally. And now I'll name those for you again in in A through D here. So enemy number one in life, um, you have um, every person has uh, this enemy who's looking for opportunities. Um, to do him or her harm, you have an enemy. You have an enemy who's looking for opportunities to do you harm, and Scripture tells us that that is Satan. Um, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 verse 8 so it says that the devil, that Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We even see this after Jesus' temptation when Satan is tempting Jesus. Jesus there as you know, calm and now fully man and, and hungry and hasn't eaten and, 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 and uh, had anything to drink for 40 days. Uh, but after Jesus successfully turns down these temptations, it says Satan left him for a more opportune time later. Uh, and so Satan is looking for opportunities. And, and despite if you're a little bit older, the, the, the chuckle you may get in your head when you think of Dana Carvey and Satan, um, that uh, church lady and Satan, that, that, that Satan is real. And scripture always treats Satan as real and always as an enemy of you and of me and even of people who haven't come to faith in Christ. Satan is their enemy. For those who haven't come to Christ, Satan is leading them along, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. He's the prince of the power of the air and and, and he's leading people along and they're doing things that are that are his bidding, um, unbeknownst to them. But he's not patting them on the back and giving them privileges for walking in his ways. Uh, he's an enemy. He gets them to do what's wrong and then laughs at them when they do it. Uh, last night, my family was we were watching an episode of King of the Hill and, and Bill Doetrie uh, realizes he can eat fast. And so he becomes a competitive eater. And, and then we find out that Dale Gribble has uh, used to do things that drew attention and made him feel popular, and then he realized that, that these things that made him popular, people were actually laughing at him, and that's why they were cheering him on. And, and so Bill Docher realizes in the midst of a hot dog eating competition, you know, dip it in and eat it, that kind of thing, he realizes what Dale has said to him, that people aren't cheering you on because they like you, they're not your friends. They're cheering you on because you're a freak and a spectacle and they're laughing at you. And that's the kind of enemy Satan is. He gets you and I. He presents us with temptations and he presents non-believers with temptations that they follow in many times. And then once they do it, he laughs at them and he laughs at us. That's the kind of enemy that Satan is. Um, we see this uh, put in Revelation 12:12, 12, 12, which we looked at a bunch in Sunday school over the last, last month, that, that uh, Satan, upon the ascension of Jesus, is going around chasing the church around, seeing what harm he can do to the church. But Jesus offers us protection in the midst of that. That's Revelation 12:12. 12, 12. Now, B, a second enemy that you have, your second enemy is death. A death is coming your way. Death is coming to you. And is the enemy of, okay, you smart people out there, what is death the enemy of? Your life. Yes, that's right. Uh, but, but life is a good thing. God gives life. He gave life to Adam and he gives life to you. He gives you spiritual life. But, but death is, is not something that, 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 is, um, that is a good thing. Death is, a, is something that Christ overcomes for us when he returns. And when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, death, your spiritual death, was something Christ overcame by giving you his spirit. In the Father's mercy, you've been given his spirit and been brought to to life so that you have eyes to see. But death is your second enemy, and everybody has death coming their way. Hebrews 9, 27, For it is appointed for all men to die once. C, third enemy for you. The third enemy of yours is final judgment. Third enemy of yours is final judgment. Um, We see final judgment in Matthew 25 and and Revelation 20. And here's why final judgment is an enemy to every person. Number one, number one, because you sin and I sin. Um, Scripture states this for us. If we didn't look at our lives, honestly, (laughs) even if we claimed we were not, I've never sinned. That scripture says, well, no, you have. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Um, uh, Job even says, even though Job knows correctly, that comparatively he's the best there is in terms of being faithful to God. And we know that from chapters 1 and 2 of Job, that that's the reason God allows Job to get picked on by Satan, because Job is the most faithful of all. But even Job says there is no man who does not sin. Um, that's a double negative. That means every man sins, and so Job realizes he's he's a sinful person. Uh, he's just faithful uh, generally, but he's he's one who sins. So final judgment is an enemy of ours because we sin. Uh, Paul says in Romans fourteen twenty three, everything that does not come from faith is sin. So we do things that are not from faith sometimes. Certainly non believers are doing things that are not from faith in that sin. So why is that a problem? Number two, it's a problem because God is just and will judge. God is just and will judge sins and sinners at the return of Jesus, judging every deed, whether it is good or evil. It says that in Jeremiah uh, seventeen ten, um, that whether a deed is good is evil, good or evil, God will judge it. Um, the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes twelve. That's what Solomon says. He says, "Obey God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will judge every God will bring every deed into judgment," is Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen, including every hidden thing. Um, so, final judgment is an enemy to folks because every every person has sins. And in final judgment, God has promised that he will judge every sin, every deed, and reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. And we, understanding the justice of God, say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And a non-believer, especially, should say, "Uh uh-oh. And then D, our last enemy. So our, our enemies are Satan, death. And final judgment, a last enemy we'll mention here this morning is the sin nature inside of you. You have an enemy that lives inside of you. That's your sin nature, your your flesh, your desire to do what's wrong. That is, in parentheses there for you, your natural tendency. This is what your sin nature is. Your natural tendency to do sinful things you want instead of things that are right and that are driven by love. So our sin nature causes us to do things that we want that are different than the will of God revealed in his commands. To do things that are good for us and that don't regard whether it's good for other people or things that we know are not good for other people, but we do it anyway because it will be to our advantage. Our sin nature is what makes us do that and what Paul struggles with as he, as he talks in Romans seven and what my wife calls the dooby dooby do passage uh where paul's struggling with his own sin nature he wants to he knows what's good and he wants to do that in his spirit but then he does the wrong that he knows that is wrong um wretched man that i am paul says um paul talks later in galatians 5 about uh the sin nature and uh how that affects us and how um Uh, How we naturally walk and do these deeds that are not good because of the sin nature that exists within us, which won't be removed until we see Jesus face to face, either by our death and seeing him by our souls in heaven. Our sin nature will be removed uh, in heaven Uh, or if he if we're around physically on earth when he returns and we see him face to face that way, our sin nature will be removed then. But next line for you, your sins not only will be punished, this is why uh, your sin nature is such an enemy to you, because it drives you to sins that will be uh, punished at the last day, at final judgment, but also have natural consequences that are bad in your life now. So a person's sin nature is, is really an enemy to him because it drives him to do the sins that earn the condemnation of God. But also, and this is for those who are believers even, our sin nature drives us to do things and these things that we do that are apart from God's will have bad consequences in our lives. If only for the guilty conscience that it brings in us. But often in much more, in much more than that. Um, so scripture declares this in Galatians 6, 7 through 8 God is not mocked if we sow to our sin nature like plant the seed if we sow to our sin nature from that nature we will reap as old translations say the whirlwind chaos comes to our life as we, as we sin uh, God is not mocked and so we experience that sometimes in our lives but all of scripture declares that so Jacob has basically four wives. So what do the kids of the four mothers do? They spend their lives arguing and plotting against each other. David has how many wives? A ton. And what are his kids like? A big, huge mess. Because David is outside the will of God. He's acting in that regard, as great a king as he was, in that regard, he acted like the kings of the nations, taking many wives to himself as if, That was a special privilege of his since he was a king, Uh, but he should not have done should not have done that. But that that as we went through second Samuel uh, years ago, back in the the dojo, um, you know, that once as David does this chaos starts coming in his life and actually comes to the people because of that. So our sin nature is an enemy because it brings these natural bad consequences to our lives as we follow it instead of God. Now, number two, number two. The solution for you to these four enemies, the solution to you for these enemies is to have God be, and here's our passage, and here's Isaiah, is to have God be with you. That's the solution to all four of these problems that God would be with you. Or that, that word we have, that Hebrew word, Emmanuel. Um, El is God. Whenever you see that in Scripture, and so if you see a name that has El, like Nathaniel. You know, L means that's just the name. God, that's God, uh, but Emmanuel is God, God with us, and that's the solution. In Isaiah seven fourteen, we see that word uh, Emmanuel. The Virgin will give birth to a child. You'll call his name Emmanuel, and then Emmanuel's mentioned uh, later in, in chapter eight, verse or chapter eight, verse eight uh, there. But that's the solution. So A there, God's presence, or God being with you, God's presence. With those who look to him for his kindness means their victory over all their enemies. God's presence. What brings victory over all these enemies is God's presence. Now, as Jim read Isaiah 7 and 8, there's a lot going on there. And we don't want to just extract Jesus out of that because Ahaz and Isaiah would have said, as we said in Sunday school, what you talking about, Willis? uh there what's going on is Ahaz is king of Judah the southern kingdom and what's going on there and this is about 732 BC okay uh, we're not there to it yet it's in second kings okay we're we're preaching normally in first kings so far and uh but uh Ahaz is king king of Judah and he has attacking him uh the king of Syria um Damascus is the capital And Syria has allied itself with Aram, is the biblical name for Syria. Aram, the king of Aram, has allied himself with northern Israel. So the ten northern tribes have allied themselves with Damascus or uh, uh, Syria or Aram, and they're attacking Jerusalem. Okay, Uh, and, And so they're coming against Ahaz. And so God sends Isaiah the prophet to Ahaz and tells Ahaz, believe. These two kings, uh, Pekan and, and um, um, Rezin, uh, Pekah was the king of northern Israel, Rezin was the king of Damascus, um, these two kings will be no more by the time this child that I'm talking about, this Emmanuel child I'm talking about, is old enough to eat curds and honey, is old enough to speak. So don't worry about them, Ahaz, just trust in me. And in fact... And so within, He says in, in chapter 7, verse 8, within 65 years, Ephraim, which is a, a term for northern Israel, the ten northern tribes, Ephraim will not exist as a nation. And in fact, that occurred ten years later. Um, the northern Israel was exiled. So don't worry, Ahaz. There will be this child who will remind you that I am with you. And what happens here is that that, that Isaiah goes on to explain in chapter 8, I will be with you, and as a result, I will wipe out your enemies. That's the key, Ahaz. Don't ally yourself with anyone else. Unfortunately, Ahaz does. Ahaz actually goes to Assyria, uh, to a king with one of the coolest names ever, Tiglath-Pileser. Uh, the third. (laughs) He goes to Tiglath-Pileser the third and allies himself and empties the treasuries of the temple and gives them to Tiglath-Pileser the Assyrian and says, please protect me. Which was what Isaiah was saying not to do. Just rely on the Lord. But the point is in Isaiah 7 and 8 is that if the Lord is with you, you don't have to worry about your enemies Um. Because God will be be with you. Uh, These kings are, as he puts here, two smoldering stubs. Their fire is almost out. They're almost done. Don't worry about them. And that's true for us as Christians. These enemies that we have, they're just here for a time. But they will be, they're smoldering stubs. They'll be done away with when Jesus comes again. So that's what's going on with Isaiah 7 and 8. Matthew employs this to say, now, it's not like Old Testament times, with Jesus here, now God himself, the second person of the Trinity who's always existed, has taken on human flesh. As the angel says to Joseph, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And you shall give him the name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. They will call him Emmanuel. God with us. And he's the solution. Jesus, God with us is the solution to vic- to having victory over all of these enemies. So be, there in your outline there, Jesus is God who offers to be always with you. That's Matthew uh, 120 that that he's from the from the Holy Spirit can see from the Holy Spirit and verse 23 uh, verse 23 there that uh, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God, which means God with us. See there in your outline, God is with all who come to him. OK, so he's not with everybody, but he's with all who come to him in faith and say, Jesus, I need you for victory over these four enemies of mine. G- Jesus said in John six thirty seven, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Like Jesus says in the Great Commission, Behold, I will be with you always. With you. Emmanuel to you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. In your whole life, to the end of this age, I will be with you. And then, of course, I'll be with you in eternity as well. And then D. How is Jesus with you? How is he with you? And it's not just in your thoughts, like when people say, oh, he's with me as I remember him, when they're talking about a dead relative or something like that. Not in that way. I mean, we can think of Jesus and we should, but Jesus is with you in a real sense. How is that? And Jim read to us from Matthew Romans 8, 9, uh, and it reveals to us that Jesus is with you always by his spirit. So God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you, but there's this interconnectedness with the Trinity that we have between Father and Son and Spirit. Jesus talked about this, the unity he had with the Father when he said in John, the Father and I are one. Okay? But we, we read in Romans 8, 9, the Spirit of God lives in you, Paul says to the Christians there, and I say to you as Christians, the Spirit of God lives in you. And then he says, if anyone does not have the Spirit Listen to this name for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So the Holy Spirit who lives in you is also the Spirit of Christ. Independent person of the Trinity, you know, still three people of the Trinity, but there's there's this interconnectedness. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have the Spirit of Christ who lives in you because God is one. Uh, One in three persons. So you have with you Jesus, as the Holy Spirit, indwells you. You don't have the humanity of Jesus in you, the physical body of Jesus. That's at the right hand of the Father. But you have, from his divine nature, you have his Spirit within you. He's with you. Therefore, there's victory for you with these four enemies. Now, number three. Number three know in a world that you are persecuted and made to feel weird for following jesus for believing in him know that you were here's your blank right you were right to come to jesus to have him as your king this is a huge message in the gospel of matthew because matthew's writing to jewish christians and they're wondering you know my brothers and sisters who are jews 90% 90% of them or 80% of them haven't come to faith in Jesus. So have I made a mistake? My mom and dad didn't come to faith in Jesus. My wife, my, my husband didn't come to faith in Jesus. Have I made a mistake? And so Matthew writes this gospel and proves to every Jewish Christian, you have not been mistaken in taking Jesus to be your king in being part of what he declared the good news to be, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Or as he declared to, to Pilate, when Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, yes, I am. And so Matthew records through his gospel. He says, you Jewish Christians living here in the first century, probably around AD 44, you have been right in choosing Jesus to be your king, but know that you as a Christian in 2022 in, in a world that has rejected Jesus, in a world that makes fun of you, in a world that, that makes you have to oomph up some courage to say, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe the Bible's true. Um, know in the midst of that that you've chosen wisely. As we're watching, uh, India, Mallory's never seen the Indiana Jones stuff, so we're watching that now. We're not yet to the third film that, that, uh, that says that, but maybe we'll get to that on Monday tomorrow. Uh, but you were right to come to Jesus to have him as your king. Um, the Magi were Right chapter 2 verse 1 they come and they say where is he who has been born king of the Jews Um, chapter 27 11 listed there there for you Jesus says it point blank that's Pilate saying are you the king of the Jews and Jesus says yes and Pilate says very well I'll have that written on on your cross in three different languages so there's no mistake king of the Jews written above Jesus head on the cross um so know that you're right, A, even though this has meant and will mean for you persecution. Know that you've made the right decision even though it means for you persecution and it has meant for you persecution in the in the past. Don't think that if you come to Christ, everything's going to be great for you. That's not the message of the Gospels. It's not Jesus' message. It's not the message of, of the New Testament writers. It's not the message of the Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three to his own disciples, In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. Or, or, or uh, Peter or sorry, Paul put it this way in Second Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself, when he concludes the Beatitudes in Matthew five, says, Blessed are you when men persecute you. And say all kinds of evil things against you. Because of me. He was preparing his disciples. When you follow me. You will be persecuted. But you will have made the right choice. Because I am the son of David. The anointed king. And I will be seated at God's right hand. And he is today. So even though it means persecution for you. You've made the right decision. To follow Jesus as your king. And then be. Um, you were right to come to Jesus because Jesus is God and he is with his people, you. He is, in fact, Emmanuel in a greater sense than God was Emmanuel to his people in the Old Testament. Like with Moses in the, the tabernacle and he was there and present in his glory cloud and the, the, the uh, uh, um, pillar of fire and the p- pillar of cloud and and how the only the, you know, as they got into the land, only the high priest could come into the very central place, the Holy of Holies, once per year after extensive preparations to make him clean and purified, consecrated, because God was present there in the Holy of Holies. But Jesus is present even in a greater, a greater sense. He is Emmanuel. And that's Matthew's point here. And then C, having Jesus with you, you have, here's why it's right, Here's why you've made a good choice. Having Jesus with you, you have victory over all your enemies. You have victory over all your enemies, and that's Paul writing in, in uh, great, um, not hyperbolic ways, but but great ways, uh, where he's exulting in the victory that we have in Christ at the end of Romans, at the end of Romans eight, and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not persecution, not getting whipped or beaten or imprisoned or anything. Satan himself can't separate us from Christ. In other words, God will be with you and me. And nothing will separate you from him. Emmanuel forever. If you've come to him, he will not be separated from you. You will not be separated from me. Like, Like Psalm 139 talks about. You know, how, how precious are your thoughts of me, oh God. And it seems like the writer there is saying, how precious to me are the, is the fact that you're thinking about me. Because when I awake, I'm still with you. You'll, you're still here. Emmanuel, God with me. And that's what carries me. That's what carries me through. So number four, number four. What difference does Jesus make to you? What difference does Jesus make to you? The difference Jesus makes is this simple. Victory instead of defeat. Victory instead of defeat. As your king, and you can look on your, your front page at our confessing our faith this morning, a frequent confession of faith. Uh, maybe some of you haven't memorized, not even trying because we just said it uh, so much. But how, how does Christ carry out the office of a king Uh, We read there that he defends us and he restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. Jesus defends us, he protects us, and he restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. So there's victory, lots of victory in all these ways. And now two two qualifiers. Two qualifiers. A. That's your blank there, qualifiers. How do we qualify today in our lives the victory that we have because we've believed in Jesus? Two things to say or that we'll say this morning. First qualifier here, number one, the victory is not complete victory now. It's not a complete victory now, but it's in part. We have a victory now in all these ways that are in part, but... It is, that's your blanket. it is victory, even though it's victory in part. Um, so you're eight and two, <laughs> you're not oh and 10, you know, to put in sports terms there, it, it, but, but you still win the conference championship at eight and two. That's what that means. You have victory throughout the whole of your life. You have victory, even though it's not perfect victory in each and every way and each and every instant. Okay, so it's not complete victory now, but it's partial victory. It's victory in part now, but it is victory. And consider it victory. Consider your life like Paul talks about in Second Corinthians. Our life is a marching forward in victory, the victory that Christ gives us. Um, number two, second qualifier. this victory will be in all ways, it will be future tense, in all ways, 100 percent when Jesus returns. So now we have partial victory in all these ways, but we'll have full 100% complete total victory in all these ways when Jesus returns. So set your mind toward that. Um, when, you know, one of the faults of the prosperity gospel is it says you know, that the, the, the goods and the wealth and the just lack of want that will be in the new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns, prosperity gospel says you can have that all now if you just have enough faith. Okay but that doesn't recognize his victories just in part now, just in part now. Um, but when Jesus returns, it'll be in an all ways. And so Revelation 19 is a great passage we have of the final battle when Jesus returns and all things submit uh, to him. And then chapters 21 and 22, which describe the new heavens and new earth. we will never be in want and never be threatened. When Jesus has come again and redone uh, the earth for us to dwell in. When we, the meek, shall inherit the earth, according to Matthew 5.5. 5. So now your victories. That's your B point victories. That's your line there, your blank victories. Um, how are we victorious in these four ways over these four enemies? Number one, it is victory over Satan now. As Jesus enthroned in heaven, okay, remember he's your king, ruling and reigning for your sake, conquering his and your enemies. As Jesus is enthroned in heaven, he rules over Satan and protects the people of the church, his church in life and in death. And so that's what Ephesians one twenty three says to us. that Jesus is at God's right hand and he is over all rulers and principalities for the sake of the church. So Jesus isn't ruling in total domination over all things now. He's allowing men to sin and women to sin, boys and girls to sin. He's allowing people to claim atheism, though in their hearts they believe, Paul tells us in Romans 1. Uh, He's allowing things to happen to you that won't happen to you, bad things that won't happen to you in the new heavens and new earth. So he's not ruling always, but he is ruling in this way, that he is ruling over all principalities for the sake of of the church, Ephesians one twenty three, and, and what we saw too, and what Jim read to us from Romans 8.28. Jesus is calling, causing all things to work together for your good, for what kind of people? Well, he says, to those who've been called according to his purpose. That's the language of the gospel. You as a believer have been called according to God's electing purpose. You've been called to faith in Jesus, And so because you've been called, because you're one of his, he's working out all things together for your good. And the non-believer can't say that because Jesus isn't ruling and reigning over heaven for the sake of all people, but just for the church. So Jesus has victory over Satan for your life. There are things that could have happened to you that don't because Jesus is protecting you today. And anything that comes your way, including temptations and various trials and hardships that you go through, those are things that Jesus has brought about upon you as he did with Job. Being a believer doesn't mean that God is trying to make everything work out for you and that sometimes he's getting defeated. Okay, when something happens to you that's not what you wanted or that's a hardship for you, that is Jesus bringing you through. Uh, that's Jesus bringing you through something in life. And I was, I was thinking about Randy and I talking um, uh, just 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 recently. You know, of, you know about the, the the end of um, the end and the beginning of of Psalm one thirty nine. Um, uh, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any. Uh, offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Um, we've had some people in this in this church go through some real trials. And, and it's a trial. Will you be faithful to me when everything's not going your way? And we've had them splendidly succeed in those trials and say, hey, by life or by death, I'm good because I'm in Christ's hands. Um, and, and so, so the only thing that ever comes to you and, and just rejoice in that as you grow in Christ, you will realize this more and more when you're working with your computer and it's not working out. say, so, you know what? <laughs> Jesus doesn't. I literally say this when, you know, it's like my fourth attempt and I can't get something to work. I say, I guess Jesus doesn't want me to do this or make this happen right now. He's sovereign. He could have made this not even break down or, or whatever. Um, so Jesus is over Satan now for your sake. And there are things that could have happened to you that haven't. Um, number two, uh, other kind of victory. It's victory over death. Um, as Jesus will be with you in death and bring your soul to be with him in heaven at your life's end. This is what Paul declares in Philippians 1.23 as he sits in a, a prison, either in Rome or in Ephesus. He, he says, you know, I think my life may end here. As that's may, how this imprisonment may end. Uh, but maybe God will let me live. See, Paul believes in God's sovereignty. Um, and what shall I choose? Paul says. For it is far better to die and be with the Lord. But I think the Lord will keep me here for your sake, is what Paul says. But Paul indicates there if he dies, he's with the Lord in soul. Or as he says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be at home in the body is to be away from the Lord. And to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so this is Jesus having victory over death. You can even talk about that in your own salvation. You were spiritually dead. And Jesus, your king, said, I want him as a citizen. And he conquered your sin nature, your enemy, and broad gave you life out of death. Okay, so Jesus had victory over you, uh, over your, um, over death in that way. Your spiritual death, and he will have victory over your physical death, um, bringing you to heaven at life's, life's end. You'll bring your soul to heaven at life's end. Now, number three, it's also victory over your sin nature. Uh, it's victory over your sin nature as Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you by his spirit. Like we talked about, Jesus is with you by his spirit and by his spirit gives you the ability, gives you the ability by his spirit to say no to your sin nature's desires to do wrong. And so this is what Paul talks about in Romans 8 four. the first verse Jim read from Romans 8 says this, um, that, that God has um, he says, put his spirit in you in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The spirit of God is in you. The spirit of Christ is in you that you might meet the requirements, not for your justification. Your justification was taken care of by, Je- by Jesus and his blood and his sacrifice on the cross. But he's given you a spirit that you might do his will on the earth. That you might love your neighbor as yourself. That you might love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as much as that is possible for you to do. So Romans 8, 4 again. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. This is God with you, the Spirit of Christ with you, giving you victory over temptations as they come your way so that you don't live according to the sinful nature that still resides in you, but that you say no to it. And this is what Paul talks about in in Titus 2. We read about in Titus 3 first, that God regenerates us by his spirit and gives us faith. And then we went up back in the the chapter 2 in Titus, and it says the grace of God came to us in order that we might say no to ungodliness. And we say no to ungodliness, and that is Christ having victory because his spirit is within us. We see temptation, an opportunity to do something ungodly, not in Christ's character. And we have the ability by God's spirit in us to say no. And to do something completely, you know, to use the word altruistic, like Jesus on the cross. Yeah, you know, it wasn't beneficial to him to say the things to Pilate that got him on the cross. Are you a king? Well, not in the sense that you, you know, he doesn't backpedal. He just says, I am king of the Jews. And this was a threat to Rome. And Jesus knew this gives this gives Rome the judicial authority to put to put me to death because this is treason. Uh, And so Jesus does something totally altruistic. He comes from heaven. He could have stayed there, but instead he comes to earth and he takes on our infirmities all for the purpose of giving his life as a ransom for us, for many. Um, So this is, we have the ability to say no to our sins, sin nature's desires to do wrong. Um, This is why Paul in Galatians 5.16 says, so I say, live by the spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the sinful nature. Okay? So this is victory over our sin nature by Christ Emmanuel being with us by his spirit. Um, so A, there in your outline, this is victory in life over the negative consequences. The negative consequences of sin in your life now because you're choosing not to sin. So because God's spirit is in you, the spirit of Christ, you can say no to ungodliness and not have to suffer the negative consequences of sin in your life. You won't do that perfectly, but every time you do that, that's victory for you. And those are negative consequences you don't have to deal with in your life. And then B, this is also victory in life of experiencing, on the positive end of this, of experiencing blessing as you live in God's ways. The spirit of God enables you to live in God's way. So not only are you not experiencing negative consequences, but you're experiencing the blessing that comes from living in, in God's ways. As James 1.25 says, you know, to be a doer of the word. And in the doing, we are blessed. Or as Jeremiah had said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. We experience blessing as we walk, as we walk in his ways. Now, number four, there, fourth kind of victory that we have. It's victory over final judgment and condemnation for your sins. Victory over final judgment, and condemnation for your sins. And so uh, we see in Matthew 26-28, in the Lord's Supper, which we'll hear uh, just shortly here. Jesus says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. The cross for us is victory. And so Romans eight one, what we saw in our declaration of the gospel, that second verse therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in Jesus, God with us, we have victory over what should have been and what should be in our future condemnation, condemnation for our sins. And so instead of that, because Jesus is with us, we don't have that. Um, so just picture this final judgment scene, A, in your outline. The judge of all is Jesus. It's not the Father. Jesus says in John uh, five twenty two, the Father judges no one. For he has handed all judgment to the Son. And so we see Jesus on his judgment throne in Revelation 20. And so think about this. You're supposed to be condemned for your sins because you have committed them. But the judge of all is Jesus. And B, the judge of all will be with you at final judgment, giving you entrance into the new heavens and new earth. So the one who can condemn you and rightly will condemn all who have not come to him for their sins, the one who is saying, Depart from me, you evildoer, is with you at final judgment. And as maybe for some of you, as you've had some evangelism training and maybe you've heard this illustration that the judge comes down from the judgment, the judgment seat and comes behind beside you and he defends you. He's your intercessor and he wins your case. And he says, my blood has covered this one. So your judge and your defender, the one who has earned your eternal life, is your judge. He will be with you. He will not abandon you at final judgment. He will be with you there as well. And through his being with you, you will overcome, have victory over this enemy of final judgment. So God being with you, God being with you, is your key to victory in life and in death Uh, summary summary God with us God with us Emmanuel is your key to victory is your key to victory over your most fundamental enemies both in this life and for eternity and for eternity let's pray